Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, Banneker Bones and the Alligator People, and Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy. It's a wonderful trilogy. You're going to enjoy it all. Uh, join two 11-year-old detectives as they race around on jetpacks uh, after the Giant Robot Bees. If you're curious about that, you can get that first book. Uh, as a paperback, an audiobook, but you can download Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees for free as an ebook whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. So get yourself a copy. I know that you're probably still in quarantine for COVID 19. You've got time. Give it a read. You'll have, a, you'll have fun. Uh, under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I've written uh, books for older readers, such as my young adult novel, All Together Now, A Zombie Story, uh, and this companion piece, All Right Now, A Short Story, uh, and then um, The Book of David, which is a five-volume serial horror novel. Uh, that one's about an atheist who purchases a haunted house that then begins to give him religious visions. It is nuts. Uh, if you're curious about that, you can check out The Book of David, Chapter 1 by Robert Kent, not Rob Kent, as an ebook for free, also available as a paperback. Or if you don't like to read things, you like to listen, and you're listening to a podcast, that makes sense. For God's sake, go uh, back five, six episodes. I don't know how many episodes ago you can hear me read The Book of David, Chapter 1 to you for free. Um, just something I did to keep from going stir crazy here in COVID 19, recorded my own audiobook. Bucket list item checked off. Next bucket list item, please. Uh, and as always, head to uh, middlegradeninja.com. Read interviews with hundreds of uh, literary agents, editors, authors, uh, folks you'd find interesting. And get the entire back catalog of the show as well as find out who's coming up next. All kinds of great stuff at middlegradeninja.com. That's the longest intro ever. Tracy Wolf, I apologize. I, I promised to keep it to about two minutes. I think I went two and a half. Dreadful. How are you this <laughs> evening? <laughs> I'm really good. How are you doing this evening? I am fantastic. We've just had uh, Tostitos uh, here for, for dinner. So that's a nice. wonderful evening. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I love it. And I love your bookshelves behind you. They're amazing. <laughs> you right. know what? It's uh, just a small sampling. I've got the three behind me. Uh, and then I've got three over there. I think there's three in my wife's office, at least two in my son's room, two in our bedroom. We got books everywhere. That's I know, right? <laughs> when we were um, early on in my marriage, um, we were moving a lot because we were doing grad schools and all of those different things. And so my husband's friends would um, come over and help us move. And like, you know, they'd move the furniture, they'd move the baby stuff, no problem, because we had my, my oldest at that point. And then they would get to the box after box after box after box of books. And they would be like, what is in these things? And my husband would be like, yeah, I mean, what do you want me to say? What do you guys? She can't go anywhere without them. I. What are we gonna do? I think it's just like you know, perils of uh, of being a writer, right? How many uh, shelves? Did you know how many bookshelves you've got right now? In my house, you gotta let me count like you did. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, eighteen. <laughs> you win. That's amazing. <laughs> we have more people. We have more people in the house. Um, and my uh, my younger two are more graphic novel readers, and um, and that because both of my younger two sons have dyslexia, um, but my oldest son uh, has read. Yeah, he. We only have two bookshelves in his room, and yet he probably needs four more. So there's books under the bed, books in the closet, books piled on top of books, on top of books in the closet. You know, so yeah. 
Big is readers. That a future author, you think, or just a reading enthusiast? I actually think he's just a reading enthusiast. Um, he is my science guy. But I actually think my youngest son um, is the most fantastic storyteller I've actually ever run into. And he is always, um, always has really good ideas. Like he'll say something and I'll be like, you know what? And I'll mention it to my agent. My agent will be like, wow, that's a great idea. I mean, they're not, we're not necessarily the same kind of writers. So, uh, so it's not an idea for me. I'm like, but you should, you know, I keep telling him he needs to, he's 13. I keep telling him he needs to, uh, needs to start because he comes, he's just always has been from the time he was, you know, that high, just been a brilliant um, storyteller and, yeah, so we'll see what happens. Yes, if only he knew someone in the industry who could help him get started. That's what I tell him all the time. So I tell him. <laughs> I will see. Mom. She's 13. Not, handy, uh, not that uh, dyslexia is handy, but if you're going to have dyslexia, to have a mom who's both an author, a former English professor, you could do a lot worse in this world. That's, <laughs> that's right. what I try to tell him. But uh, but yeah, he has no interest in, in he's, he's like I said, he's 13. Everything I have to say is like stupid. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So uh, he's the only one of my three who's been like that, though. So we'll see. <laughs> he's awesome. It's not commentary on Fortnite. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Pretty much. Or Dungeons and Dragons. That's that's the big thing in my house at the moment is D&D. Has been for a couple of years now. Do you uh, all play it together? Or? Um, I am not a big D&D player, um, but my two sons have a little cadre of, I guess there's seven of them now, and they they meet twice a week and play. And they have they run two different, two different um, DMs, so they run two different stories. One on Fridays and one on Sundays. So are they big fantasy readers? Um... I think so. I think they're, yeah. I'm just wondering if you can, when you, when you, when, uh, you know, quarantine is lifted and you're back out and about in the world, uh, if you can go and introduce them to fantasy authors, I mean, you, you must know some writing paranormal romance, yeah? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, my, again, these are my two who are less readers because of the thing, but they love to, to meet, um, yeah, I have a lot of friends who write paranormal and um, fantasy. I'm one of the few who doesn't write full-on fantasy. Mine's more, like, I like urban fantasy. That's my thing. I set it in the real world, you know, instead of um, high fantasy. But I have, yeah, they love they love meeting authors. In fact, one of my, uh, my oldest son's greatest triumphs was, I'm trying to remember how many years ago it was. It was probably five years ago, maybe six years ago at this point. But I was at a conference in New York and my agent had invited me to go to dinner. An editor, an editor had invited her to come to dinner and said, hey, why don't you bring one of your authors? And so she'd asked me to come with her. And we went to dinner and it turns out that she is um, one of George R.R. R. Martin's editors. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay, so look, I have a giant favor to ask <laughs> of you. And... Um, and he got, Adam got, and that's my oldest son, got all of the um, George R.R. R. Martin books signed. And that ah. was pretty awesome. Personalized and signed. So it was pretty awesome. Wonderful. I was like the yeah, coolest mom ever. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, like this huge package came. It took like six months. And I thought, I was certain that she had forgotten. And then this giant package came. And, and they were all the books. <laughs> he still has them right on his bookshelf. <laughs> That had to be uh, just a, a heck of a temptation for the editor, who, of course, would, would we, we know editors are noble and always do the right things. But if it were me, and I'm looking at what the rates are on eBay versus sending those books <laughs> on to a fan. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. 
good bring, bring, bring us George R. R. Martin. I just wanted to see if they uh, got the books. Did they like it? Yeah, yeah, they loved them, George. All right, well, when you're breaking up, you must be going on a tunnel. Bye. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, it was, it was. I think the cool, one of the coolest presents certainly that he's ever gotten in his life. Um, he loved it. So yay. <laughs> so you won momming that day for sure. <laughs> I did. I did. It's, it's always nice, right? When you win every parenting, you're like, yeah, my mom's cool. <laughs> That's what gets me. Well, mine's, mine's six. He's still mostly still, he mostly thinks I'm great. Um, but I, I play a game where uh, <laughs> I uh, have great parenting days and, and, you know, pretty good parenting days. <laughs> And like parenting days where it could have been. <laughs> you know what? It's called good enough parenting. I was told that by a therapist once. It's, um, you know what? You're good enough. Even on your bad days, you're good enough. Because most of the time you're pretty kick butt, you know? So good enough parenting. That's what we call it. <laughs> everybody's fed. Everybody's happy. Everybody's, you know, doing okay and, and healthy and, and all of that, you know? There are, there are worse days. That's we better. It could happen that. Parenting than like entire generations of humans. Right? That's why I said, if those are your bad days, it's good enough parenting. <laughs> like that makes sense. So Tracy Wolf, author of what, more than 60 books? More yeah, than uh, working on my 66th right now, the sequel to Crave, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Does it get easier by 66 or is it still the hard thing? You, would, you would think yes. <laughs> um, I think some books have been easier than others. I think some books have been really, really hard. Um, some books just flow easier. But no, I don't know that it ever gets easier because I have a really crappy process. And um, and yes, the process is rough. But <laughs> I was reading about this. If, if you wouldn't mind sharing, what, what is your process for a esteemed audience? Um, so, I, so I tend to write books really, really fast. Um, but it's one of those ones where, well, you know, like when you have a book in your head, it's usually in your head a while before you sit down to write it. You know what I mean? So I tend to, you know, I, you know, I think about the idea and then my favorite, one of my favorite parts of writing is after my friends tease me all the time. It's the sale, right? Like I put it down, I sell the book and then I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm done now. And the editor tends to be like, yeah, no, no, you're not. Cause I would actually like the book. And I'm like, oh yeah, that pesky part. Okay. I already uh, got the money. There were, there was no problem <laughs> there. So. Like I already told the story. Like I told you the story. I know what the story is. I'm good now. I want to move on to the next story. But apparently that's not how this business works. Um, just kidding. And so anyway, um, I tend to spend forever on the very beginning of the, of the book because I'm not, I used to, I, like, I wanted to be a pantser, right? Like, I really wanted to be somebody who just kind of wrote and it just flew out of them. And it was just the most amazing thing. And I find out that, that sadly, I am not. Um, I actually need to plot. And, but not at the beginning. Because at the beginning, it's like everything is bright and shiny. And you want, you know what I mean? And you want to, you just want to explore and see where it's going to go. So I usually sit down and I usually spend forever. And this is something my, my editor is this is the second book I've done with my my Crave editor now and she's just learning about me is I have to I have to like write everything at the beginning and that's how I enter the world and it's how I enter the characters heads and it's how I learn about what it is the story is going to be and that takes forever and I write the first five three to five chapters over and over and over and over and over again even when they're like um can we see some more and I'm like yeah 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 no it's coming and I just do that until I feel like it's right. And then once it's right, I'm like, okay. And then I sit down and I write the rest of the book in like, no matter how long it is, pretty much. I write the rest of the book in like 10 days. 
sometimes shorter if it's a shorter book, but like, yeah, usually my books run about a hundred thousand words. Crave is Crave is one hundred and sixty, one hundred and sixty thousand. They had to go for a special paper um, to make it less heavy for kids in their backpacks. That was uh, that was the concern. Um, we didn't know COVID was coming, obviously. Um, so that was the concern. Sure they still we were... appreciate it wherever they are. They're, they're not straightening their wrist. <laughs> when we were going to to print was to make sure, and then. And then it got to the point when we were going because we were adding some stuff at the end. There's a couple like chapters from the hero's point of view and there's some other stuff. And, and I really wanted to squeeze in another scene. And, you know, you have to go up at that point. When you go up, you go up by like 16 pages. And so my editor is like, OK, you've got 32 pages we can we can work with here if you want to. And I'm like, OK. And then she calls me back. And she's like, nope, you've only got 16 because the printer ran out of paper. There's no more of that kind of paper. We can only do 16 pages. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, all right, then. Cut, 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 cut. Um, so, yeah, it tends to be down to the wire. Um, Crave was certainly down to the wire. And I'm really hoping Crush will not be. Um, but we did move up the uh, publication date. So so we'll see how it goes. But, uh, yeah, that's my be, process. Uh, crush <laughs> Sequel to Crave by Tracy Wolf, available in fine bookstores now. When will uh, Crush be available? Crush will be available September 29th. So and it'll be... Yeah. Audience. Mark, put that on your calendar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, um, it was supposed to be April of 2021, but um, the momentum's been so great, and the fans have been so amazing and wonderful that, you know, and, and begging, because I left it on a cliffhanger, and, um, and kind of really begging for more. And and I'm so appreciative of them. I said, okay, I can, we can do this. And my editor was like, yeah, let's do it. So we uh, we decided to bring it out a little early. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I've got lots of questions for you about Crave, but I I I I'd be kicking myself if we didn't go back and okay, ten days is Crave a ten dayer after five Crave, days? Crave was a spent a long time getting it on the front end, the first few chapters. In fact, I wrote like. I think it was 100 pages, and my editor's like, we need about 30 of these, so just take the other 70 out, which was really traumatic for me. Um, I was like, but I love them so much. And she's like, life is hard. And, um, <laughs> which is true. Harsh, harsh times. <laughs> Who is this editor? Don't say her name. <laughs> and um, and I tend to I re I tend to do structure backwards. I tend to like really like my my first act tends to not be 10%. My first act tends to be like 30%. And so then, like, my editor's like, no, we're going to call that back. We're going to call that. So that's what we did. We called it back. And um, so then, and then she had planned on editing it at a certain time. But then we spent so much time on just getting the getting to know each other, getting to know those first pages, that she then had to move on to some other editing projects. And so it kind of sat there. And then um, I wrote, you know, I'd written, I wrote till the end in, in a couple weeks. And then it sat there for a couple of, you know, she, you know, had to do all her other work. And then when she got to it, she was like, okay, we need to do this, 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 this to it. And I had to like, I had to rewrite and I knew I was trying to keep it in. They'd asked for like a book about a hundred thousand words and that's what I was trying to keep it at. And I knew there were scenes missing, but I was trying not to go too far over it. And so she came back, she said, no, these scenes are missing. You need to write them. And I was like, so oh, yeah, yeah, I get to write them. And she's like, by the way, we need to write them like really fast. And so, um, it was, it was. Yeah, it was not a really yeah. It was it was not a two weeker, but it was not a uh, it was not a six monther. So <laughs> so there's that. I'm in I'm in awe. I'm struggling with my five hundred to fifteen hundred words a day. So what is uh, what is ten days a novel? Uh, uh, what what does your writing day look like at that point? Then when you're uh, right now, I'm 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 doing I'm doing crush right now, and my writing day looks like. 
like when before COVID, my writing day looked like getting up at 5 a.m., writing from 5 to 7.45, then getting the boys off to school and all of that, coming back, um, usually writing another three to four hours. And then that would usually get me that would usually get me seven to 8,000 words and then trying to squeeze in 2,000 more wherever I could once, you know, school and my mom lives with me. And so, um, she's been, she's ill and in general, um, she has a couple of problems. And so there's always doctor's appointments in the afternoon and another thing, and then the kids and, and dinner and, you know, the grind. So I'm then trying to squeeze in one to 2,000 words before bed is usually the, uh, the goal. <laughs> And you're you're a full-time author, right? I am now. Yeah, I have um I was a writing prof- or I was I was a writing professor part-time at the beginning. Um I had actually written my first book. I mean, I'd always wanted to. It's what I've always wanted to do. Um but I actually finally had time to write my first book um when I was, well, we won't talk about how old I am. Um about <laughs> 14 years ago and that was because my second son um was very premature and he'd had really bad lungs and the doctor had told me we had moved from california to austin for at that time my husband's job and the doctor told me if i could keep um my middle son home a year out of i hadn't been a babysitter in california um if i came out of a babysitter if i could keep him out of a daycare we could probably get his lungs in better shape and so, you know, we had just sold a house in California. So for the first time in our whole lives, we actually had a little bit of money where we weren't, you know, because we met in grad school. We had a baby right away. You know, that, that's you how You didn't have goes, all that right? sweet, sweet English professor money? <laughs> yeah, all that sweet, sweet English professor money. Exactly. <laughs> and he was a junior engineer. And yeah, so anyway, um, we said, okay, well, like, you know, there's really no contest, right? Your kid's, you know, life. So we're like, yeah. So I stayed home for a year and I said, okay, I'm going to write my book. And I wrote two books that first year, actually, and they end up becoming, my second one became my first book published, and my first became my second book published. And um, and that's kind of how that went. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> but, oh, uh, well, we were just talking about your, your process and how you get to oh, a point where you can write a book in 10 time. days. Right. I'm fascinated. Yeah. Teach me to be more like you, Tracy Wolf. And so then, at that time, I was full-time then, and I used to write, actually, during... Um, the baby's nap times. Um, he was, thank God, he was a prolific sleeper. He would sleep for three hours. So I would get him to sleep and I would run up the stairs to my office and I would write for three hours. And that's how my first two books got written. That's just in those three hours. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. I know. My first wow. one didn't sleep past him. When he was uh, six months old is when he gave up naps. So my first one was not like that at all. But my second one, oh, he was such a good sleeper. <laughs> it was such a <laughs> gift. <laughs> and um, so that's how the first two books were written. And then I was still teaching and I still taught part-time up until uh I want to say 2014 I guess it would have been 2014 2015 which is when I first hit the the New York Times list and all of that and then I went full-time and I taught part-time um mostly because you know I wanted to keep my hand in it I liked it you never know you never know how writing's gonna go and what the market's gonna look like and how your career is gonna go if there's one thing you know this business I'm sure it's taught you the same thing right I mean it's it's a marathon it's it's not a sprint you know, and so you just have to be prepared for a lot of things. And so I didn't feel comfortable giving up teaching until around, I guess it would have been about 2015. And then I had filled in for a friend 
think about, I guess it would have been a year and a half ago when she'd gone on maternity leave. She said, could you, could you fill in for me? And I was like, yeah, you know, my kids are in school. That's no problem. So I went and filled in a couple classes for her and realized how much I missed it. And so I went back and started teaching. um, I think I took two classes a semester for a few semesters. And then this is the first semester I've had off. I think I taught three semesters and then with Crave coming out and we knew I was going to be traveling a lot. And I was like, I can't, I can't travel and be in a classroom, right? And of course, then COVID came along. And I was like, well, I'm just as glad I'm not trying to. I've never, I mean, I admire teachers who can teach online. And I, that's never, I like being in the classroom. Like, I love being with my students anyway. So I just, I don't think I would have been great at it. So it turned out to be a blessing that I wasn't teaching this semester. So, and now that Crave is doing all of its, what it's doing, I, I don't think I'm going back for a while. So, yeah, full-time writer. Long answer for a... Easy question. Full time. Oh, that's great. That makes my <laughs> job incredibly easy, and we all learn more than we would have. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> as much as is comfortable for you. Um, in fact, I had a couple of things I wanted to, to break down and ask. You know what? The heck with it. We've been talking a little bit about Crave, and I know uh, Megan Beatty, previous guest, your publicist, who was kind enough to send me this book, is listening, and she's saying, okay, great, great, great. Are they going to talk about the book? Yes, yes, we're going to talk about the book. Um, so I don't do other people's biographies, and I don't summarize other people's books. How painful for you to listen to me do that. Uh, if you would, please uh, give a steamed audience just kind of an overview about what Crave is about, what they can look forward to. Oh, absolutely. Crave is, if you look at the cover, um, it is kind of an homage to Twilight. It was kind of, you know, vampire books were huge 10 years ago. And my editor really wanted to bring vampires back. And I've, I'm a huge vampire book fan. I'm from a young age. I've loved vampires. I think the Lost Boys got me when I was really young, you know. And uh, so anyway, I've always wanted to do a vampire series. I always said I wasn't going to do it unless I came up with an idea that I thought was a little different because there's so many, been so many great ones done. You know, you're walking in the, and, and I'm a romance novelist as, as well as a YA novelist. And, and I think like Christine Feehan is, does a really wonderful vampire story. Sherilyn Kenyon, of course, um, J.R. Ward. Um, and then of course there's all the, the amazing YA writers and all the amazing horror writers. And I thought I wasn't going to, jump into that unless I thought I could do it justice you know and so it was kind of this perfect storm where Liz really that's my editor really wanted to do a vampire series and I was like well I have this idea and I really wanted to do a boarding school book I actually have three other boarding school books started on my laptop right now um completely unrelated series yeah, completely unrelated to Crave, and none of them, I couldn't quite get them the way I wanted them to go. Like, one's actually a disaster story um, <laughs> um, about a giant earthquake in California, which is is where I, I was raised, and um, and kids stuck at a boarding school, and, like, the only six survivors of, like, the big one, right? And uh, so I've had, I have other ones, and I just thought, well, no, I think this might be the story to do this, this boarding school at. And so the story is about a young girl named Grace. She's 17 years old. She's a senior in high school. Her parents have died in a terrible car accident. And she ends up having to go live with her only other living relatives, who she does know, but it's been a few years since she's seen them, her uncle and her cousin Macy. And they happen to live in Alaska, which um, was, I love fish out of water stories. I love the, you know, I, I grew up in San Diego, which is where Grace is from. And I could just imagine like, I can imagine now, because now I'm living in Austin, like supplanting to Alaska, I'd probably have a stroke, right? Like, I just know it. Like, 17 years of age, I'd be like, 
but I can't wear my tank tops. <laughs> you know, what do you mean? There's boots, not flip flops. I don't. Where's the beach? And um, and I mean, not that bratty, but you know, I really thought, you know, what would it be like for this girl to have lost everything already and then have to like go to this really alien environment and um, and start over. And then to find out that this alien environment is actually way stranger and way, way more different than she ever imagined. And so, of course, Grace gets to Alaska and starts going to school at this boarding school. And it doesn't take her very long because the whole book actually takes place in like eight days. Um, so it doesn't take her very long to figure out that something's wrong. Um, but it takes her a couple days, right? Because, you know, she's kind of numb and in a fog anyway because her parents have died. And she's there and she's like, Something's not right, but her brain doesn't immediately go to vampires, right? Her brain goes to um, aliens. Like, are you an alien? Like, what is going on here? I know something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. Somebody just, you know, and um, and then, of course, she finds out that the guy that she really likes is a vampire and her cousin is a witch. And the guy that she's becoming really good friends with is actually a dragon. And there's also the werewolves, and they're not very nice. <laughs> or um, or so she is found in, in her experience at Catmere. And uh, it is it is it is a romance, a YA romance um, between Jackson and Grace. But it's also a um, the trilogy itself is um, I think a very a very feminist story um, about about this girl and and actually two other generations of women that come in more in in books two and three and um, and how they fit into this world and how they learn to um, to command their own power and 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 take it in a, in a world where it's kind of been denied to them too so it's a little bit of everything so who uh, who's the ideal reader for uh, Crave? The ideal reader for Crave, um, I mean, it's a young adult, so they say girls 14 to 18, and I have, I get letters from them every day, but I get letters from, from adult women as well. My, my romance readers have really embraced it as well, and so, um, and I've gotten letters from, from several young men, actually, as well, who really, really enjoyed it. So I say, I say people who like vampires. And people who like, um, like I said, I mean, I know Alaska is not urban. <laughs> it's about the opposite of urban. But um, fantasy set in a modern world, right? Paranormal, more paranormal, but um, with definite fantasy elements. Like they live in a, in a really cool castle that I love very much. Like I was I, like, okay, if I'm going to do a boarding school in Alaska, it's going to be a castle. I know that's not likely, but it's magic, so it can happen. So it's a, it's a big gothic castle. In, uh, in Alaska. Yeah, who's going to be like, oh, there's there's vampires, there's dragons, there's witches. We draw the line at castle. That's not believable. <laughs> right? Exactly. That's what I said. Although one of the uh, one of the jokes my editor always says, she, she told me the other day again. She's like, I just don't like. I don't understand like why it had to look like like a brothel on the inside. <laughs> I was like, Have you met me? I was like, you know, like, I mean, one, I love gothic, right? And then I'm like, okay, I went like full on gothic with the black and the purple and like red velvet chairs and black glass chandeliers. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's my vibe. So it like, it looks like, you know, <laughs> everything that I love and a spooky, scary set of tunnels underneath um, that I, uh, I had so much fun creating actually. They have, um, there, have you ever been to Prague? Uh, no. There is this church called the Church of Bones in Prague, and it's an ossuary, and they have the most amazing 
um, bone chandelier and it's human bones, right? Um, like the catacombs in France too, which if you've ever been through are like scary as, as heck. Um, but, um, this gigantic bone chandelier that takes up like a huge, like huge amount of the ceiling. And I, and the first time I saw it, I was like, that has to go in a book someday. It just, it just has to, I don't know what book. And this was many, many years ago. I don't know what book it's going to go in, but it's got to go in a book. And, um, 65 books later, I found the book that it needed going. <laughs> you find yourself knowing that you've got this incredible amount of output in you. So I, I assume I'm talking to you uh, about when we're through maybe the first fifth. Uh, so we can look forward to, to quite a few more books yet to come. Hopefully, hopefully uh, you can look forward to more books, yes. Are you kind of just forever taking snapshots of life around you, just like tuck that away? I'm going to use that in a book someday? I think I am, and I think I always have. I have... Um, one of my funniest stories is actually about the day I met one of my best friend's fathers and we were in college. She was my college roommate. And, um, I had, I grew up in California, was born in Detroit and had come to Texas for school because they had given me a full ride scholarship. And, um, I knew I wanted to go to grad school and, you know, yeah. And, um, so anyway, um, she took me home to her very small town in Texas. Um, I think it was, I think it was Easter weekend. I think it was. And so anyway, um, we get to town or we get to her little town and her mom and dad say, Hey, you want to go out to dinner? And we said, yeah, sure. We'll go out to dinner. So we get in the car or in the truck, excuse me. We get in the truck and I didn't realize being from San Diego that going to dinner meant you had to drive a solid hour and a half to get to somewhere where you could have dinner. Right. What? Yeah. With this small thing? town, Texas. I mean, this town is 600 people. Right. I mean, and her parents are like, I love them. They're the most delightful people, became my second parents, all of those things. But this is the first time we've met. And so anyway, we're like driving along. And then suddenly her dad like pulls the truck over to the side of the road. I'm, I'm 18. Jumps out of the car. pull and, and keep in mind, this is in the 90s. And so it's a little different than like the, the climate now with the Second Amendment. And jumps out of the car, pulls a, a handgun uh, it's the first time I've seen a gun in person in my whole life. Out of the um, out of the glove compartment, jumps out and starts shooting into this field, and I'm like, "What is happening? Like, what is happening?" Right? I just couldn't even imagine what could possibly be happening. And um, and he gets back in the car and he says, "Well, you know, there was a, you know there were a couple coyotes over there, and I just didn't want them to think I you know they hadn't I hadn't seen them." And I was like, looking at him, and I was like what is happening? And she was just like, you know, she's a country girl. She's like, yeah, that's totally reasonable. And I'm like, uh, okay. Close well, the funniest. Were the coyotes potentially going to offend something I, on the land? Or was this someone? I, I, don't, I don't, that I don't know. That I don't know. Again, remember, we're going back 20 years and sure. things were different. Just protecting all of uh, Texas, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and so, <laughs> So anyway, I told her, I'm like, one day that's going to be in a book. It has not yet made it into a book, but one day it is. Well, the funny thing is, I fast forward many, many years, and um, when when um, my husband and I had moved to Austin, we uh, we 
finally back in Texas for the first time in many years. And her parents had come up, but she was living in Austin as well. And her parents had come for Thanksgiving. And I had, I'm like, oh, let's like have your parents come over. Like, I'd love to have them over for dinner Friday night, that kind of thing, because I haven't seen them in years. And they come over. And it's the first time they had met my husband or my children. And her dad starts to tell the same story because he said he got back in the car and he looked in the rearview mirror and he says, all I saw were these eyes like this big peering back at me. So the irony is, it had had the same impact on him that it had had on me, but for very different reasons. Yeah. So anyway, one day, one day that's going to be an event because he's the sweetest, most delightful man. And, um, and yeah, but that was, that was total culture shock. So yes, I do. I collect. Now you better, you better put it in crush. Cause now that you've said it on a podcast that somebody's oh. put I do. I collect the moments and, um, and all of my friends know that, that at any time, something they say might very well show up in a book someday. It's just like hazard of the, right. Hazard <laughs> of the profession. If you're friends with a writer, you got to know this is where it's going to end up someday. If it's really clever, I'm probably going to steal it. And then thank you <laughs> in the acknowledgments. <laughs> And, of course, friends are pretty good, usually, I find, about uh, always assuming that the villains are them or the heroes are them, depending on how they feel about themselves. Oh, my gosh, yes. They were like, that was me, right? Like, yeah, sure, of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I described yeah. them as incredibly beautiful, so obviously. <laughs> so, obviously, that was you. Obviously, no doubt at all. So here's a fun question. If you're going to your boarding school and you've got to be uh, a supernatural being, I know because I've been stalking you online and reading previous interviews that it probably wouldn't be a werewolf because you're, you're, you're not completely. They're, not, they're not my people. Uh, <laughs> but what, uh, what, what, what being do you, could you envision yourself being? Oh, I think I'd be a witch. I um, I actually did an urban fantasy witch series. I actually did a dragon series um, earlier in my career under a, a different pen name. And, um, and I loved both of I was always, I was scared of vampires. I love them, but I was always scared to write them, like I said. Um, but I've always loved witches and dragons. Um, so I don't know, dragon, witch, dragon, probably a witch, I think. Witches are fun. But if you could be a dragon with witch-like powers, I mean. Yeah, right? Or a witch <laughs> who, you know, transfigures into a dragon. Either way, I, would, I, w I wouldn't kick that out of bed, right? <laughs> I just curious uh, you mentioned you had uh, three other books at, at some state with boarding schools before this what what is it about a boarding school that attracted you that you wanted to write about one I don't know I'm I should probably have an answer to that question and I'm not sure that I do I uh well it might not be a fair question do you always know what attracts you to a story yeah I don't yeah not always sometimes there's just something there and I don't know there's just something about Something about a boarding school that, that I was a private school girl. I wasn't a boarding school girl, but I um, I grew up in California and Los Angeles and San Diego. And so I've gone to um, uh, Catholic schools. And so the uniform was very familiar to me and, and all of those things. Um, but I, I wonder sometimes if it came to, I, I had a very good friend of mine. Um, I'd gone, I actually went to, um, for most of my high school career, I went to a public school. And um, in, in San Diego. And I remember when one of my friends had gone off to Harvard um he came back and he was he was older than i was so he'd come back and he was visiting and he was talking about when his video back in the day when they used to like send you the vhs tape um his video yearbook had come and he was playing it for his friends at harvard and they were all like that's not that's not a high school that's 90210 that's like 
what are you even talking about? Like we went to high schools and they had all gone to boarding schools and they had all these boarding school stories. And I don't know, I think from that moment on, I've always been kind of fascinated by it. So, uh, so maybe that was, uh, that was the kernel that kind of, kind of stuck in my head for God, a lot of years. <laughs> and then, uh, I, I was also fascinated to read that you haven't been to Alaska. <laughs> I, I was supposed to be in Alaska right now. Can we just say that? I oh. was doing a research. Um, yeah, I was going to do a research trip for Crush and and the third book. And um, and I had planned it for, well, actually, probably like two weeks ago at this point. And I was supposed to be in Alaska. And then COVID came along, and now I'm in Austin. <laughs> I'm sorry to get to go, hopefully, before you, you write three. Uh, quarantine oh. up there up a bit, and you'll, you'll have your uh, chance to go out. Hopefully, yeah. I had, um, yeah, were you going to ask why I had chosen Alaska? I was or, just going to ask uh, well, how you did your research without going to Alaska. Uh, you know, this is the joy about well, Also, why did you choose Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> this is the joy about being like the English professor, right? Like, I love research. I'm, it's one of my things. And so um, I, I actually made a comment because I had looked up something the other day and I was like, you know, I get why authors really needed big advances back in the day. Because you had to have time to like spend forever doing all, going the places, doing the research, hours upon days, upon weeks in libraries, answering all your questions. And now, you know, Google's your best friend, right? Um, so I'm like, what color is reptile blood? If reptile blood is orange. Oh, how cool is that? That's nice to know. You know, stuff like that. You just right there. And um, so anyway, I, um, I, lo I love to follow rabbit holes when I do research. And I remember, I think it was probably... God, it might have been the very first RWA conference I ever went to back in the day. Um, and I went to hear Nora Roberts um, give a talk. And one of the things she had said is she had said she used to order like whatever part of the country she was setting a book in. She would order 15 or 20 books about that, you know, that area. And she would just read them and she would take notes and, and whatever else. And she said, you know, the thing was 95 percent of the research didn't make it into the book, but it gave her a feel for, for whether it was North Carolina or whether it was Hawaii or whether it was Alaska or, or whatever it was. And I remember thinking that, you know, and I tend to like, I tend to get a few books on an area, but you know, now you just follow the, the, the rabbit holes. And I kind of go into it when I'm starting to look for a place to set. And when Alaska had come up to me and I'll talk about how I'd come up with that in a minute. Um, I just kind of start wandering through, you know, and like thinking, oh, where, and originally Crave was actually going to be set up in the tundra. I wanted to set it up in the northernmost town, um, which I cannot pronounce. It was called Barrow, Alaska for a lot of years. And then they've just recently changed it back to the native Alaskan name. And it's a lot of syllables and a lot of letters and I couldn't even pronounce it. And my editor was like, we can't set a book in a town that nobody can pronounce if it's going to be, you know, you know, <laughs> so we've got to, we've got to do something about that. Um, Forks, for example, was very easy to pronounce. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, she's like, also, she didn't think the tundra was as scary as I did. And this is, I think where this is the, this is the difference between horror and terror, right? This is something my students and I talk about a lot because like I said, the Gothic's my, uh, my area. And, um, and she says, you know, I don't think, you know, the tundra's wide open. What's scary about that? I'm like, are you kidding me? You see something there, you know it's coming to get you. You can't do anything. You can't hide. You can't outrun it yet. Like, I think that is terrifying. She's like, you know, she's like, but what if they like jump out from behind, you know? And I'm like, 
actually nobody in Crave jumps out from behind anything. Um, but okay, so we ended up setting it further down south in um, near Denali, um, in like the deserted side. And that, interestingly enough, came from that when I said, okay, if I can't have if I can't have Barrow, I want um, I want near Denali because I had watched The Art of Flight many years ago. Have you ever seen that documentary? Oh, it's a documentary on snowboarding. Many years ago, probably, I guess they came out in 2014. I wrote a trilogy of snowboarding books. And um, like I said, I love research. And one of my greatest compliments ever on that series was uh, a snowboarder, a professional snowboarder had been like, I thought you were a snowboarder. I was like, how have I not heard of the snowboarder? And I'm like, yeah, I've never been on a snowboard in my life. I just think it's super fascinating. And um, so anyway, one of the many things I did was I watched this documentary called The Art of Flight. And, and the premise of that was they had gone to all of these really, really remote areas, places where nobody had ever snowboarded before. And they wanted to show you not just the snowboarding, but they wanted to show you really the, the beauty and the big views and the, the, the insanity of these areas. Like they were down in Patagonia and like the most inaccessible area of Patagonia, for example. And then they were up in like, and the comment they had made about this area of Denali that they were in was that no human, they had to get there from helicopter and no human being had like ever walked there ever. And I thought, why would you not set a school in a place where no other human being had ever walked, right? And um, and that's kind of where the, the the nugget of it came from. And um, really, Alaska, though, in general, is an idea. My agent is, like, great for locations. She's really good. She's like, I'm like, where should we set this? And she's like, <clears throat> like, she named, like, my dragons were desert dragons. I ended up setting them in New Mexico. And not a lot of people had, had done, done that at the time I did that. And... Um, and it was her idea too. She's like, I just feel like, because I was thinking like Maine. And she's like, no, like desert. And they became these great New Mexico dragons. And she's like, Alaska. I just feel Alaska. And I'm like, well, let me poke around and see what happens. And I just fell in love. I fell down the rabbit hole and I like was just like, oh, I love it here. This is this is where my school needs to be. And, um, and you know, the, uh, the trauma of like the really, the great for the really long, long winters and long, you know, short days for the vampires is good. And then you worry about the, uh, of course, the, uh, what that looks like in the summer. <laughs> so. so we'll see. Book three. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, an important point of clarification. I actually have seen the art of uh, uh, the, the, the art of flying, the art of, uh, it was in 3D at the time, I, I think I recall completely unimportant but i remember we had a 3d tv and i was stupid enough to pay a stupid amount of money to, to watch snowboarders in 3D. <laughs> it was fascinating though right like i mean like yeah ridiculous there's a lot of ridiculous stuff as they're shooting up propane tanks and, and all of that and water skiing off a off a snowmobile but um yeah some of it was really fascinating though so yeah. Just a moment of terror. Someone will find out that I, I misspoke, and we better clarify. <laughs> so we better clarify that. <laughs> so how uh, how involved uh, is your agent with, in, in creating and, and refining books early? I mean, are you talking like from the moment you have an idea, just from those first five chapters before you go in, I assume, Tasmanian Devil Writer mode uh, to, to get the book done in, in 10 days? Are you talking back and forth about the ideas before, during? All she texted through. me like four times today before this interview <laughs> while I was watching groceries. <laughs> I made my son text her back. I'm actually really incredibly blessed. Um, it embarrasses her so much when I say this, but I had to chase her down to get her to be my agent. I had, I don't know what it was about her. This is 15 years ago. She had just started her own agency. She had been training at Writer's House 
and they had offered um, to, they wanted her to come out as an agent. She decided she really wanted to start her own agency. Um, she is um, the president of Prospect Agency, and um, and it was a small boutique agency at the time. And um, I don't know, it's just everything about her appealed to me. And I'm like, this is my agent. She doesn't know it yet, but this is my agent. Um, her name is Emily Sylvan Kim, and uh, and she had just had a baby, and I and she wasn't really wanting to take on new clients. And I chased her down, like through like three different conferences, and I like I got re offers of representation from other agents, and I would call and be like, you know what, this, I've got this offer of representation, but I would really like to work with you. Can you please call me back? And like nothing, right? Three and times she like, did this through like I assume <laughs> perfectly reasonable and decent agents, <laughs> <laughs> right? And they, they, were, they were perfectly. <laughs> yeah, they were perfectly great agents, and so I was like, okay, so finally the, like, I, and I, I let two go, and finally on the third one, I was like, I'm going to have to take this other agent if she doesn't call me back, and I was like, will you please call me back, just let's have a conversation, and, um, and she called me back, and she says, and I just remember, she's like, so I was up all night, and I was thinking about it, and I decided, yeah, let's just do it. And that's how I got my agent. Nice. <laughs> and, um, and we laughed to this day because she's become one of my, um, and I know not all agents and, and clients have this um, relationship, but she's become one of my absolute closest friends. She actually sent me um, candy and Vermont cheese today um, to uh, help with my writing, my 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 push to finish crash. Um, and she was like, "If you're stuck." Like, let me know and we can brainstorm. So um, she tends to be really big idea. Like I had this idea once for this book I wanted in the, in the height of, you know, the Greek gods and paranormal, I wanted to do a modern retelling of a Pandora story. And I wanted it to be like food poisoning in the cafeteria, like opening like the crypt and like hanging out in one of the New Orleans cemeteries, voodoo, all of these things. And she's like, yeah, but she's like, I feel like that's been done. And she's like, you know what? She's like, I just wonder, what if, if we just do it differently? Now, even this was about, it's about nine years ago. So, what if we just do it a little differently? What if instead of opening a box, Pandora opens an attachment, and she like starts this massive technological Armageddon? And that was just something my agent tossed out to me when we were on the phone. And this is and something like, that you you've written, or are we give it another great I, idea for free, okay? And I was like, oh my god, that's the best idea ever. And um, she's like, yeah, it kind of is. And then the first thing I did was I tried to give it away. I was like, you should let John, who was one of her writers who was big in like cyber books and that kind of thing, she let John write that. I can't write that book. She's like, no, 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 you're going to write me that book because you can do it. And that was at the same time that Stuxnet had come out and nobody knew who was responsible for it yet. Do you know what Stuxnet is? Nope. The, um, it's the blended threat that was conceived of under Bush and implemented under Obama to bring down the Iranian nuclear program and it was half worm half virus and it was made partly by microsoft partly by the american government a little bit by the israeli government but at the time they had just found it because it did what what blended threats do and it had jumped like it had very specific it was it was working on a very very narrow operating system that very few you know systems ran on and it had a kill date and it had all of these other things and um and it wasn't supposed to be able to jump and of course it jumped and they found it a guy found it in russia and then suddenly it became this, you know, um, this thing. And, and a friend of mine had given me an article on it. Rolling Stone had done an article on it at the time. And, and the American government had not claimed responsibility for it at that point. And 
Um, but but people who knew, you know what I mean, who understand how complicated this is, this 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 funded threat was knew that it had to come from it had to come from somebody like Microsoft. It, it didn't come from a hacker. And so anyway, I just kept thinking about that in reference to what my agent had said. And then I created this this virus, this blended threat that they Stuxnet like that you could upload into a massive multiplayer online game. Like I chose like the most popular in the world. Hence the title. Oh, I haven't told you the title yet. And then it kind of spreads that way and it takes down everything. And um, and it became this this technological Armageddon that that very quickly um, became like if it takes on the lights, for example, it's one thing knowing that, oh, the structure's there and we'll turn the lights back on. Kind of like where we are now. Like, food is still going. We know that this, you know what I mean? And eventually we'll be able to go outside again. It's another thing if it's gone and you don't know if it's coming back, right? That changes a lot of perspective. And, uh, and so anyway, I did all this research on, like, what it would look like in a pandemic. And I, which is why when this started coming around, I'm like, oh, this is what's going to happen. And it was really interesting to watch because I had talked to all these experts 10 years ago about what would happen. Um, during a pandemic and, and how it would go and what would happen if, if this if these different things went wrong. And it was really interesting to see how so many of them were just right on about how how it was going to go. And uh, my family was like, oh, my God, stop telling us. Just stop telling us. Because like every night it was, oh, yeah, this is what's going to happen next. Sure enough. And um, so anyway, it ended up becoming this book that I that was called Doomed, which was a shout out to the first massive multiplayer online game. And uh it was a book, for many, many years, I thought it was the best book I'd ever written. It was the hardest one. It took me six months because the research was so hard because I'm not a tech person at all. And um, and I wanted to get it right. You know, if you're going to do it, you got to do it right. And um, and it ended up becoming on, getting on a bunch of state reading lists. And, and the thing that I'm most proud of from the book is it's another really big book. It was 145,000 words. And it was named Yalsa's Best Book for Reluctant Readers, even that big. The year it came out and that was as the english teacher in me was like super proud of that one <laughs> super <laughs> proud so anyway um she tends to do stuff like that she'll tend to be like so what if this just happened and i'd be like oh and sometimes she's wrong and sometimes but like 80 percent of the time after she says it like i come back and i'm like you know what i think you were right and then we just kind of so yeah she'll throw out like i think it should be alaska and i'm like no not alaska and then i'm like yeah, maybe Alaska, <laughs> like that. What uh, What was it about Emily initially that that made you uh, bypass three three other perfectly great <laughs> three literary other perfectly agents? Perfectly great agents for her. Um, <laughs> you know, I really loved that she had trained at Writer's House. This was fifteen years ago, and Writer. Well, I mean, even today, Writer's House is an amazing agency. I really sure. loved that. I loved that she was like me. She was young and hungry and ambitious, and um, wanted to, you know, really wanted to make a name for her agency. I really wanted to, you know do something in the writing world, you know, someday, right? <laughs> and uh, I really... I, 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 I think it's safe to say you've done something in the, in the writing world. There's, there's a lot more yet for you to do, but I, I, I think you can go ahead and, uh, uh, and, and lay claim to that. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And um, so anyway, there was, there, was just, there was just a lot there. Her website at the time, I just really liked what her website looked like and what it said. And... Um, and all there's just everything about her just had the vibe that I wanted. And um, and then I met her at a conference and she's like, oh, my gosh, I've been wanting to talk to you. I've been wanting, you know, and then we were supposed to have a drink and then it never happened. And um, and I knew even then, like, I just really like her. And um, 
and she's never done a movie. Like I always say, she, there's never I've never brought her a book that she hasn't sold, and there are very few people who can say that about their agents. Like I've never brought her a book she hasn't sold. So pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel really blessed to have her. She's amazing. So. You uh, mentioned the pandemic. It occurs to me that I should definitely ask you about the old elephant in the room. Uh, it is. I always do this when I, we talk about COVID-19. It, we are recording this May 28th because, uh, of course, this would come out a little bit later. So we yeah. don't know that aliens have landed or whatever news has occurred between now and when a esteemed audience is listing. But as of May 28th, having launched a book right in April and successfully, obviously successfully, since they're moving up the release date of Crush, what was that experience and what do you think you were able to do here in quarantine that Push Crave or that your publisher was able to do, whoever whoever uh, the, the team was able to do that, that Push Crave um, to be a success despite everything the world kind of falling apart around us? <clears throat> you know... It was interesting because we launched very early April, right? So we were one of the first ones to launch um, in the middle of it. So we were kind of inventing it as we went. You know what I mean? Now everybody knows, well, you do Zoom and you do this and you do that. I mean, my publisher had to go out and buy the professional grade of Zoom so that we could even do anything because it was that new when we were planning at the very, very end of March when we realized, yeah, everything we planned was out the window, right? Um, so how are we going to fix this and how are we, cause you know, they put a lot of money into advertising and, and other stuff. And I mean, obviously you want the book to do well, a lot of publishers just chose to move it. And so they ended up moving a lot of books to August and, and, um, July. Um, and we had decided, they had decided, and I was in complete agreement that no, we were just gonna, we were just gonna go and we were gonna, you know, even with the stores closed, when Barnes and Noble closed, it was a big hit to us. We thought, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Um, but, uh, we decided no, we're just gonna we're gonna do this, and so we um, we threw everything we could. Thank God, Target was amazing. A friend of mine had told me, you know, people will go to Target even in a pandemic, and I said, I don't know, I don't know if they will or not. She's like, they're gonna go to Target in a pandemic. It's gonna be okay, and um, and everything that could go wrong kind of went wrong at the very beginning. Like they like the books didn't because everything was such. You know, if you think back two months, right? Things were kind of, nobody knew what was going on. Everybody's a little, they were closing stuff down, could have, you know. And so um, books weren't getting from, you know, on the shelves, even if they'd gotten them. Amazon had lost them, I think. Um, I, don't, I take that back. I don't know if it was Amazon. One of one of the places had lost it. For the record, both Tracy Wolf and Robert Kent are huge fans of Amazon. God bless our <laughs> corporate overlords. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Huge, huge fan. Um but they were bringing in, you know, everybody was scrambling for food and, and toilet paper and all of that. And so they had all of, you know, all of these shipments coming in and and the book, you know, boxes get, you know, in the middle of all that. And so where, where are they? And then they decided at that point, they decided they were going to um, pull back. They wanted to make sure people got food and the supplies that they needed. So they were going to pull back on shipping books. And we were like, oh, my gosh, that means, like, all these pre-orders, like, all, you know, everything that could go wrong kind of went wrong at the very beginning. And uh, and my publisher is brilliant, Liz Pelletier from Entangled, and is the fastest thinker on her feed I've ever seen. And she just kept adjusting, and she just kept 
like rolling with the punches. She called me. She's like, I have good news and bad news. This is the bad news, but this is what we're going to do. So this is the, so now it's good news. And okay, well, tell me what you want me to do. Tell me where you want me to go. Tell me what you want me to, and I will be there. And so then we had like, when we, we launched in the week, like we had, um, I think I had come up with, I wanted to do, uh, we had sent a lot of books out to bloggers and I had wanted to do a special blogger only, you know, bookstagrammer, um, thing where they could, you know, RSVP and they could come in and they were the only ones in. And I wanted to do that the day before the book launched. And, um, we had a really, you know, huge response to that. And they were so amazing and so welcoming and warm. And so many of them had read the book at that point and really liked it. And that helped of course a lot. Um, and so I really, I really enjoy talking to, um, I really enjoy talking to people. I'm a very extra, I'm one of the very few extroverted writers. Um, are you with your, uh, doing 10 day novels <laughs> at a way. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard. So bit extrovert again. <laughs> yeah. Thank God there's a lot of people living in my house. So, so that helps. Um, <laughs> I can at least go see one of them. <laughs> so, hi, <laughs> my friends know to check in on me. And, um, so anyway, uh, so we had done that and so then we kind of invented like the rest of the week what we wanted to look like oh okay like we were going to do a launch interview on tuesday and then on friday we put together a panel with three other really great writers um who were launching sometime near me um and a couple of whose books had ended up being pushed out to the summer and um and a few other things and we just kind of like invented this whole what, what, what release week should look like in a pandemic. I'm not saying other people weren't scrambling and doing the exact same thing, but for us, we kind of felt like we were starting from scratch um, for us. And, and so we just kind of did what felt right. And, um, and yeah, I've been very blessed and I have amazing fans and amazing bloggers who have taken me under their wing. And I am, will always, always be intensely grateful for that. And um, so, yeah, so doing that in a pandemic was not, was not the easiest thing. We were all, I think, a little nervous. Um, and I think it's worked out well, you know? I think I think we've done okay. <laughs> so I'm really pleased. Oh, um, and you know, uh, we had, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. We had oh, held yeah. the announcement, Universal, Universal had actually held the announcement um, of the movie deal until the day before Crave came out. Um, and then we were so afraid that was going to get lost in the middle of like all the other pandemic news. Like there was a lot of stuff that had kind of gone into what the launch was supposed to look like and then how it like ended up looking. Um, but I think in the end, everybody from, from universal to the video game, to, um, at chapters to, to my publisher again, just did such a brilliant job. at just pivoting <laughs> and uh and figuring out how to do what what needed to be done so we were we were i was so grateful <laughs> All the way around. universal uh, had a had a deal in place what's what's going on with the video game um the video game i'm at um chapters interactive which is i don't know if you know them they are a um kind of choose your own adventure type video game they um tend to they have original content and they also tend to buy books and they uh, they kind of they create your whole world in this video game, and they um, and then readers can go through, and they can say like they get to this point in the book, like where the book is because it's reading, and then they can choose to go like one way, like they give them three ways, and one way is the actual book way, and the other two are are different ways, and um, and that was a lot of fun because I got to work on the script. Like my publisher was super adamant at the time that um, I get that it, that it stay in my voice. 
And so I got to um, write all the, I didn't have time to write the entire script because that it's really exhaustive work. I have so much respect for video game script writers now. Oh my gosh. And we were turning it around really fast. Um, and so, but I had to write, like I got to write all the choices, right? And they had like the, the free choices, the, the diamond choices where people had to, you know, pay or use their diamonds that they got from the game to, to go. And so I got to, all of that was, was my writing. And so I learned this new skill, which was incredible um, of, of how to write a video game. And, and that, was, that was a lot of fun and also a lot of work. I think more work than writing a book in, in some ways. So, <laughs> so there's that. It's <laughs> outstanding. So how 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 do you you because you must um you must have just an incredible focus or have trained your mind to be able to sit down and and and, and you know get an eight thousand word day a ten thousand word day and then i assume you're reading on top of that I'm, uh, you're keeping up with all of your favorite series and everything else right so how much yeah. time are you spending reading and writing on any given day um well that this is the thing right when you write a book in well, you spend, you guys spend a couple months, right, fleshing it out at the beginning. Then you kind of write the main thrust of the book in 10 days. Um, those, like, I'm not reading anything right now. I'm not watching anything. I'm not doing anything right now except um, writing and cooking for my family and, and talking to you. And um, uh, but that, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Um, so on those days, and, and at one point I was putting out is how you get to 65 books, right? At one point, I was putting out about seven books a year. And um, that was mostly for Random House. It was for Random House and um, Little Brown and um, Entangled and Harlequin and Penguin, like different arrangements through there. But those were the, the publishers I was working with at the time. Through this probably three to four year period where I was doing maybe five years where I was doing seven books a year. And, um, and that was hard because that was, I was spending a lot of time, obviously. And, and it was one of those things where it was in rotation where I had like the idea that I was pitching and I had the book I was writing, I had the book I was editing, the book I was copy editing and the book I was publicizing. And I had to do all five of those on any given week. And that was, that was a lot. And so for me now you say how much, like this seems like spending time on like one book at a time seems like. Well, wow, or two books, right? I'm publicizing this book and I'm writing this book. That seems like I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, that was, this is, you know, this is one of those things with, with my agent, if you know, if one talking, maybe this is, this is oversharing or whatever, but she's always helped me pivot. So several, several years ago, my, um, my husband had lost his job, right? And I went from being a good secondary income to having to be the only income. And I was, well, we got to do something because <laughs> I have to make sure because, you know, well, you know, it, it trickles in. Right. Um, you never know really when you're going to get it. I'm sure, you know, like you have these royalty periods where they come at that time. I think a lot of them were still six months at out instead of every three months. So you're getting paid every six months. You never really know what you're going to get that six months. On the um, hungry every day. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and because. Um, publishers aren't the same where like at Amazon, if you self-pub, you can go in and say, oh, I've sold this many books. You don't get that, right? Um, a lot of publishers, some publishers are, are more transparent. I've had, I've worked with really lovely editors. So for the most part, I have a general idea. Um, but um, so yeah, so suddenly it was this, I, I had to work and I had to make sure that, that I had, you know, everything covered and, and all of that. And so it became this thing where, yeah, five. So now when I'm like, okay, I've got two, 
I feel like okay, I can I can read a book. I can watch you know binge watch a TV show when I'm not when I'm in the mid, not in the middle of, of writing. I can I can do that and still feel like I'm doing okay on the the editing and the the all the other things. So baptism by fire, <laughs> I guess you call that. <laughs> I'm both exhausted and deeply admiring. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot. Tracy, I'm uh, watching our time flying by, and I know you've got sick boys to uh, go and prepare chicken soup for, uh, so I won't uh, I won't keep you long. Esteemed audience knows I have to ask, and I want to ask. Tracy, well, have you ever seen a flying saucer, and do you believe in them? I absolutely, positively believe in flying saucers, and I have never seen one, but I'm not I'm not discounting the chance that one day I might. And then you're going to write uh, a book about uh, probably a romance between uh, an earthling and, a, and an alien, and they'll be... <laughs> Maybe. I actually have a YA or a middle grade that I was actually, before I, before I started on Crave, and so it's kind of been, been tabled for now, a middle grade that I call um, Calico Jack and the Amazing Mostly True Tales from the Andromeda Galaxy, and he is a middle grade space pirate. And um, one day I would really, really love to write that series, and we'll see if that ever happens. But um, yeah, I, I love outer space. I uh, I, I never wanted to go. Cool. Like I'm too much of a chicken. But <laughs> oh, hi, kitty. That's I've Mabel. Mabel always makes a guest appearance. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, my uh, my dog is is locked out of the room at the moment. <laughs> But because uh, she will just come climb right on the laptop, she thinks she's a lap dog, and she's actually like a sixty-pound uh, kelpie. So <laughs> well, I used to uh, I used to lock her up before the not lock her up, but put her in a uh, yeah. in a room with her her, her cat box, her toys, her yeah, cool fine esteemed audience. Uh, but esteemed audience looks forward to seeing her, so now I just let her run around. Yeah, I'll get her, her cameo in. Um, Tracy, I'm uh, I've I've enjoyed talking to you, and I know I've I've, I've run right through our time. Uh, so I'm going to end with this because I always end with some variation of this uh, final question because it's a good way to catch all the things I might have I might have gotten you to say if I'd just been smart enough to ask better questions. Um, but um, my last question is always some variation of if you could go back, uh, what 2006, 2005, when you're when you're really getting cooking on uh, on starting to write. Uh, and give yourself some advice that would have made a significant amount of difference and maybe make things easier for you, or maybe several pieces of advice, what would you go back uh, and tell yourself, and what would you want all the uh, potential authors listening now to know? I think I said it actually already early on the, in the show, that it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. You feel like, I think you spend so much time like thinking about writing your first book and then getting your first book published like getting the agent like all of those things that when when it happens or at least for me I wanted to like race you know what I mean I'm like well I want to get another contract I want to I want to I want to you know I was writing for Harlequin and Penguin at the time and I, I wanted to do that and I wanted to to just keep publishing books and I wanted to write a lot of different things and and all of that and and I think I think that my advice is explore everything you want to write but I think that that there's time too. You know what I mean? I think that sometimes that my career might have been less rocky. I mean, I've had a really beautiful career, and I'm very grateful for it, and I and I'm I'm very proud of it. Um, but I also kind of deviated very quickly at the beginning. I was writing sweet romances for Harlequin, 
and and super sexy romances for Penguin, and your audiences didn't cross over. So I didn't know, and I was so new to the business, I didn't understand that what I really needed to work on was building an audience that would would you know what I mean? Follow me then, like really get them cemented here. And and I think that um, I think that don't rush. Understand that. It's a marathon. Understand that there are going to be ups and downs. There are going to be years where things are going really well, and there are going to be years where things are going really badly. That is the nature of the business and the nature of the career that, that you have chosen, I think, as a novelist. And um, and I think that, that anybody who's been in this business long enough figures that out. You know, I, was, I had done a, a virtual book signing for Mysterious Galaxy several weeks ago and they were my hometown San Diego bookstore many many moons ago so it's always a thrill for me to sign there and um and so anyway they had talked about she'd been looking back at the first time I'd signed for them it was on um a book that had come out in 2011 and she was like you know I realized there aren't a ton of authors um who've been doing that you, you know doing this consistently for as many years as, as you have. I mean, obviously there are very big names who are doing it consistently, but for most of my career, um, so not all of it, but for a significant portion of my career, I've been pretty solid mid-list, right? And um, and it's just always been putting one foot in front of the other and 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 all of that, knowing that that you never know what book what book's gonna be crave or what book is gonna, you know, be in 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 the case of 2015, it was Ethan Frost and um and a book called um, drive me crazy, which was the sequel to, to Crash Into Me, which I think you had asked about originally in, in questions, um, <laughs> that had first put me on the list and really helped me build a, a very, a very, a very broad audience. And I think that if I had given up early, my first book came out in 2008. So I think if I had given up before I ever got to 2015, if I hadn't kept writing that next next book and trying that next thing and understanding that it wasn't an overnight success that um, I think I never would have gotten there. You know what I mean? So I say, I say, just understand that, that if this is the career you want, oh, and I'm sorry, I'm just gonna, one more piece of advice oh, I got. Um, we can't get do, you know, do you know Jonathan Mayberry? Yes. He, he is a brilliant and amazing and lovely human being. And I met him many years ago at a conference for the first time. And he was talking about the fact that you could be a working writer and you could support yourself as a working writer. Um, without being a massive bestseller, but you had to be open, you know? You couldn't be, I only want to write this project, I only want to do this thing. Um, and then not very long ago, a couple of weeks ago, I was being interviewed by by somebody I've known in the industry a very long time by the name of Molly O'Keefe, and she said, your career has kind of been, she says, for a long time, you know, she says, all of us are thrilled to see how well Crave is doing. You know, you were for a long time the hardest working, working woman, we used to say, and, um, and whatever. And I said, well, I don't know if that's true. She says, but, you know, she'd gone on. She said, you know, your career's always been about, like, the power of saying yes. Like, oh, sure, you know, you build, you know, I, I, I'm blessed. I have, I've worked with really lovely people who have um, taken really good care of me, including the publisher that I'm with now, Liz Pelletier, um, who was the publisher for me way back when with Crash Into Me and, and Drive Me Crazy, the first book to get me on a list. And um, and so anyway, I've, I've been really lucky to surround myself with really great people who, who have been wonderful to me. But also when they do something like say, hey, I really want to bring vampires back. What do you think about that? I say, I think, yeah, I think I've got this great vampire idea. Why don't we try it? You know? Um, so I think you have to you have to be open. You have to understand if you want to be in it for the long haul, you got to be open. You got to adjust. You got to pivot. <laughs> 
and uh, and just hang on there because because good things are coming. You just gotta you just gotta work for them and wait for them and be lucky. <laughs> it's all right. It's it's a little bit of everything. <laughs> so that's that's too much <laughs> so that's that's my advice it's kind of convoluted and and whatever but that's my advice it's a marathon it's not a sprint so just remember that is excellent advice and an excellent note to, to end on tracy this has been a privilege and a pleasure um we'll have to do it uh, again when crush comes out this was it was a wonderful evening and i appreciate you making the time tonight well thank Where, you so uh, much for having me i really appreciate it it's 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 been a real pleasure i uh i really enjoyed speaking with you thank you for having me Come back anytime. This is, uh, I feel like we've just scratched the surface uh, of all the writing advice that you have to offer, uh, esteemed audience. Where uh, can the esteemed audience find you online, stocking on social media, uh, and all that good stuff? At um, Tracy Wolf Books is my, uh, you can do that on Facebook or Instagram. I'm Tracy Wolf Author is my website, and um, Twitter is Tracy Wolf. So, yeah. Tracy Wolf. You can find me at Tracy Wolf. <laughs> Tracy Wolf and Crave, Crave, you're going to get, I think I got at least seven pages of Google results before it was somebody else. So you'll be set as few others. As always, keep up with me in the show at middlegradeninja.com. Download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees and the Book of David Chapter 1. I'm God willing and I'm alive. I will see you next week. 